Well, if you have your Bibles, we will be in 1 Samuel chapter 17. Um, before we do that, let me just give you a name. I don't know if you've caught it this morning, but we've been in our worship and everything else. Uh, this whole theme of name has come up, and you're going to see why in just a second. But let me give you a name real quick this morning. Panther Shadow. Uh, cat Control. Shadow Control. Okay, let me just read this for you. Panther Shadow, you were an archaeologist on a voyage into the jungles of South America when one of your discoveries angered the ancient cat gods. Now you bear the weight of their power until you find a way of appeasing the mighty deities. My special power is cat control. You can bring any cat under your complete control and extend your power to hundreds of potential subjects. I also have the power of shadow control. You can manipulate and control shadows using them to hide yourself or even as a mode of transportation. Sounds fun. Traveling from one shadow to the other. Now you protect Eagle City from drunk drivers while also battling the evil plans of the man from elsewhere. That is what is known as a superhero generator. uh, And it is a name that they give you just by simply saying, I want a superhero name and entering in a couple things and they generate a powerful name. One of the other ones I received as a powerful name of a superhero was Dr. Razor, and I thought, well, that's just not going to work. Uh, but his, his special power was that he could remove limbs at will. Um, you see, what happens sometimes when we think of names and we think of the power that it holds, we can sometimes think of the story of David and Goliath because I think probably 98% of you in the room this morning have probably somewhere along the way heard the story of David and Goliath. And you've probably heard it in a way of like this amazing Bible hero by the name of David who does this miraculous thing and he slays a giant. And you've probably heard probably some sermons on it and things like that. And this morning, I don't want to... um, you know, go over things you already heard. But at the same time, this is probably one of those stories that you have heard. And one of the stories that I think oftentimes can be, maybe for sake of uh, a better word, incomplete maybe, as far as the application and where it lands. Because it's so well known that it's probably been applied or you've heard it applied in a bunch of different ways. Such as Panther Shadow, which is a name that is just ridiculous and just gets generated out of the air. Some of these stories or takes on David's life can mean well, but they're not really what David and Goliath is all about. And so this morning, I'm going to hopefully try and stay true to what the author is intending and uh, kind of what he's meaning for us to take out of the story of David and Goliath. And maybe not what you've heard, because I think it's also one of those things you've heard so much of David and Goliath, and it's applied to uh, this movie called Facing the Giants, right? Uh, And you're kind of like, oh, so David and Goliath then is about this football team who takes on another football team from across town, and they're really good, and we're really bad, and somehow, miraculously, we've beaten the team, and so that is David and Goliath's story applied. Um, That's not at all what is happening here, and so if you you like this movie, awesome, great, I'm not here to slam it, uh, but I'm just saying that's not... David and Goliath. Uh, David and Goliath is not also Survivor. Uh, if you've realized like the last couple seasons ago, there was a Survivor and they named it David versus Goliath. And that's not it either. You're like, oh, that's, that's, that's kind of an interesting dead. And so it's kind of this underdog story. There's a book that was written um, not too far back 
called David and Goliath, Underdogs, Misfits, and the Art of Battling Giants. Uh, sermons on David and Goliath that are applied to this underdog story are well-meaning, and I can see where they get it, but I don't really believe that that is what the, the author of 1 Samuel had in mind when he gives us this amazing passage in chapter 17. The real point, I believe, of this passage is not even that you should face your fears uh, and, and that we should spend our morning focusing maybe on the psychological components of fear. Or uh, you could maybe misapply it to saying, you know, paying your bills is not the Goliath giant in your life. That medical emergency is not the Goliath giant in your life. Making your child making the right team is not, you know, the Goliath in your life. They're well-meaning things, and you can apply some other scripture to those things. I don't really believe that David and Goliath is where that's meant to be. And so lovingly, I will say that I think this story is really about a name. And I really believe that this story is about one name. And this one name is what the name that David says again and again. And it's the name of God, but it's also, I believe, the name of Jesus. And I would say it's not wrong to apply those things in those ways. I mean, it's just incomplete to get there. And so this morning, this is a story about the defense of one name, Jesus. This is about God setting up David as king. This is about a direct reflection of David's anointing and Saul's rejection from God himself. This is about God being the hero, not David, not us, right? Because I think so often we can apply this story and be like, you can be David, you're, you're somebody in the story. You're going to see who you are in the story, who I am in the story. But chances are we're not David in this story. So just kind of bear with me and walk through this with me if you would. I believe our key verse and where I kind of gather all this is actually found a little bit in, and that's in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 45. I believe the theme is given to us of why this story was written. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the, enemy, the, God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. David says, I'm not coming in my name. I'm coming in the name of God himself. Jesus, God, is the most important story in, name in this story. And this morning I want to look at all the names in this story and show how they can distract us from the real name, the real purpose of David and Goliath. Again, not a Mother's Day quite yet, but I think there's some things we can pull out of here that would be helpful. But, but honestly, this is about one name and the name of God himself, which we just sang about, which we just put into lyrical form. I love the idea of what a beautiful name and the idea of death couldn't hold and that whole bridge portion reflects beautifully uh, what we're going to be talking about this morning, an idea of a name. So this morning, we are going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 17. You can get there any way possible. But this morning, I want to just kind of start and say that we will be talking about um, five names total. Three names in this story will try to protect their own name. Uh, two names will protect the name of God of Israel but really, only one name is important, okay? So there's your numbers. There's five names we're going to talk about total. Three are going to try to protect their own names. Two is going to protect God's. But really, only one in this whole story is important. So let's start with some context. Let's start with the beginning of the story and where we jump in. So this is happening uh, in what is called the valley. And so if you have verse 1 of First Samuel 17, let me read verses 1 through 3 for you. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle, and they were gathered at Succoth. 
which belongs to Judah, and encamped between Saka and Aska, and, the, and that's a fun one, and the Ephesidim, and Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up in line of battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on the one side, Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with a valley between them. This is actually still in existence today. It looks a lot like this. And so what would happen is that the Israelite camp would be up on this side of the mountain, on this hill, and then the Elah Valley would be there at the the bottom, and that was where they were going to do battle. And then if you look on the other side, the Philistine camp was way back there. And what would happen is uh, they would start to kind of send in their best troop, and they would go down into this valley, and they would basically provoke... We're going to see Goliath would provoke the Israelite camp from, from up here. Now, that one place you're kind of looking at on the map, it's kind of the, you know, w- what's that building? That is kind of the remains that they believe was maybe a first temple or a first uh, place that David set up camp after all this was done. That has nothing to do with this story, but it's just an archaeological kind of piece that was very, very important to archaeologists and the whole thing. And Anyway, that has nothing to do with this. But the thing this morning is this, is the Israelite camp and the Philistine camp, you can see how both of them would have had the upper hand where they were. When you went into the valley, that's when you knew things were going to get serious, and that's where we find ourselves. So imagine yourselves here. Picture yourselves uh, watching all of this happen. And this is where the story of David and Goliath begins. Now, we read in verse 4, and there came out a champion by the name of Goliath. And so we're going to get to him in just a second. But we, but we realize that this was a, a man who was threatening the Israelites. He was basically telling them that I'm going to win this battle, not you. And, and we know the story very, very well. Now, before we get into Goliath, let me just kind of go into verses 12 to 27. And I want to kind of give you what's happening as Goliath is coming down, all these things. There's a couple things you need to know before we get into the actual story. First off, just to recap, verses 12 to 27 together. Jesse sends David, who is now age 19 to 21. Uh, We know that he is age 19 to 21 because in Deuteronomy, it says that the age for fighting in battle was 22. So David was not able to go and join the ranks of the army, not being old enough. So he must be under 22. So he's somewhere between the ages of 19 and 21. And as he is uh, watching the sheep, his father, Jesse, sends him to send supplies to his brothers. Specifically, we know that his three older brothers are in service there. And he sends, them, he sends them with food. So David's to take food and gifts to his brothers and to the commanders. And uh, we, we know that story, right? He, he, he binds it up. He, he walks all the way to the battle scene. But I thought something was kind of interesting. And this is a small little rabbit trail if you'll go there with me. I thought this was interesting, though, in verse 20 as I was studying this. If you have your Bibles, verse 20 says this, And David rose early in the morning and left the sheep with a keeper and took the provisions and went as Jesse had commanded him. And all my studies and stuff, I kind of, you can glance over that verse. But that's an amazing verse in the character of David himself. David rose early in the morning and left the sheep with a keeper. David is going to deliver supplies, but there's something about the character of David that the author of 1 Samuel wanted us to know, and that was that this guy had so much character that he didn't just leave the sheep alone to fend for themselves. He actually got somebody to fill in for him while he went and took supplies to his brothers. That's a huge, amazing character. It could have been very easy just to say, not my problem. They're just sheep. They'll be fine. They'll be here when I get back. But he assigns a keeper, and he assigns it to say, here, I want you to do this, 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 and this, and he delegates his work out 
to this keeper. And it's just kind of an interesting side note. Again, I think this is showing us the character of David versus the character of Saul. David, who gets a keeper to watch his sheep, and yet you have Saul, who you're going to see, who is shaking in fear in his tent, who can't even command an army, and yet David takes care of his sheep. It's just a very interesting, interesting verse. So he makes his way to the camp, and David arrives to find no battle, no war, just a camp full of warriors standing around. And David starts to ask questions, and then he finds his older brother, the Saul-like version that we heard about earlier. And, and as he's kind of walking around, he has questions for his older brother. And this is where we come to our first name this morning. So our first name is Elab, and that's 1 Samuel chapter 17, verses 28 to 30, okay? Now Elab, his eldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, this is David's asking, what's going on? Why are you guys not going to battle? Why are you standing around for 40 days, and why are we not doing anything? And Elab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? That's an older brother slam. That's what that is. That's a, don't you have better things to do like take care of worthless sheep? Um, And whom have you left the sheep? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. Now, David says, what have I done? What, What is not but a word? And those phrases will those are hard to translate, but it's basically like, I just ask questions. What's the big deal? I'm, I'm just trying to figure out what's going on. This is not an evil intent. Verse 30, and he turned away from him toward another and spoke in the same way, and the people answered him before, as, as again, as before. So Elab, who is the first name we see, is, is a name of an older brother who is on the front lines, and in comes the younger brother riding in the supplies. And I'm sure there's a lot of just jealousy in this guy's heart. There's a lot of, I should be doing something, but he's fearful and he's not. He's trying to obey the, the, the thing of his king. And you see that the first name that we read in this story of Elab falls to this thing of jealousy and to fear. He, he starts to accuse David of all these things. And all David was trying to do was assess the situation. And this first name that we see in Elab is he's trying to protect himself. Elab falls to jealousy and fear. And here's the thing I know about you and I know about me. Jealousy will almost always be attached to some kind of fear. Jealousy will always be attached to some, form of fe- some kind of fear. Either, either I don't want to be misrepresented or I should be doing something I shouldn't be or whatever it is. It's some kind of fear that is attached to it. And here's the other thing I know is that jealousy always is going to be a statement, whether we say it out loud or whether we just believe it in our heart. Jealousy is the statement of God owes me. You see, Elab thought that God owed him something. What did he owe him? He owed him the kingship. He he should have been the next king, not David. He should have been the one reigning. He was the oldest. He had all the credentials. He looked the part. And yet Elab, the older brother, was, was disrespected in his mind by God and not chosen. And so there's something in, day, in Elab that is in all of us, too, that says when we think God owes us something, we are jealous. And, and we kind of start to project that jealousy onto other people. And then, as you know well, jealousy then leads to the second emotion, and that is anger. And he starts to get angry at his little brother. He gets angry that his little brother would just roll into camp and interject himself into the battle, Right? It's kind of that you're in the middle of something, of a project at home, and, and, and it's not going well. 
just work with me. Maybe this happens to you. Maybe it's just me. But as you work through whatever that project is, it's not going well. You're on the fifth attempt and your third finger in, and, and it's just like, this one's been smashed, this one's been smashed, this one's been smashed, this one's been smashed. And you're just like, just angry and upset. And all of a sudden, somebody comes in, and they don't really know exactly what the project is, but they come in and they, they offer a solution to your problem. Ever been there before? And it's a, it's a well-meaning solution, and it's a solution that would you know, given the situation would probably work, but you have been in the battle long enough that this solution is not helpful. Have you tried turning it the other way? Wow, no, let me, wow, I didn't think of that, I, you know, or have you tried bending it this way? Have you tried moving it this way? Have you ever thought about you just need to get out of the garage. That's what you just need to go, right? Because it's that it, we, we've been here so long, the anger, David rolls up and he's like, guys, what is happening? What, why are we not, have you tried? Have we, have we, have we, and he's just trying to assess the situation. Whoever comes into your garage is just trying to assess the situation and it does very little good because we get angry and we start to get resentful and this is happening to David and his brother is doing this and he interjects something better. And David doesn't mean anything. He's just trying to figure out God is on our side. Why are we not moving and advancing? God is for us. What is happening? You see, David knew who his God was. He knew the name in which they served, and he knew that this power would go before them, and yet he wondered what was happening. And David responds to this first name of Elab with humility and with truth. And he he doesn't get bent out of shape about being mocked, about being called a little kid who's supposed to just go watch sheep and he doesn't get bent out of shape and say, you know what, I'm supposed to be the king, thank you very much. He, he, he just very methodically and, and humbly removes himself. And when, we, and when we do the same, with humble and standing for truth, there will be those around us who will continue to be jealous and fearful. And when we try to point out to people what's going wrong or what's happening, they will start to accuse us of, you know, are you think you're better than me? Do you think you're, you know better than us? Do you think you, you, you've been at this camp long enough to assess the situation? And yet again, for David, it was so simple. God is bigger than this giant. God is more powerful than this giant. This king should trust God and not wait 40 days to come up with a plan. And sometimes our faith just needs to go back to the simplicity of it. And David takes it back to this simple point. And here's the simple point. David shows us God's name is truth humility, and patience. As king, he could have done a million different things, but he waits, and he humbles himself, and he lets them speak, and he continues in the story in that way. Now, when fear of being hated comes to mind, I I pray that we remind ourselves of David's example, of Christ's example, of humility and meekness. Verse 31, when the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated... They, were repeated, they repeated them before Saul, and he sent for him. He sent for David, and David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. This is David speaking. Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. Second big name is Saul. Saul already knows who David is. He's the one playing music, and, and now he sees him again on the battlefield, and he says, but you are youth. You don't, 
you don't know anything. And, 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 and besides the fact that you're so young, 19, 20, this guy's been killing people since the time he was born for 20 years. Like, if you think you have anything on how this guy operates, you don't understand who you're, you're dealing with. And Saul, the second name, is about protecting his own skin, and he falls to doubt. Prove to us, the reader, that God truly has left Saul. Saul has no, no trust in the God he serves. And yet David does. Because he not, only, he not only hears this and accepts this, but then he, he reminds Saul of something. And I love this in verse 34. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear, and it took a lamb from the flock, I went after him. <laughs> okay, let's just stop for a second there. Um, before we even get to the second part, right? Uh, you what? So a bear or a lion came and he took him, and he says, And I chased him. Ah, okay, just let the sheep go. Like, it's not that we'll get another one. They're, you know. But no, David says, I chased after him, and I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he rose against me, I caught him by the beard and struck him and killed him. <laughs> That's awesome, right? That's the kind of friend you want to hang out with. What'd you do this weekend? I took down a bear with my bare hands. How'd that go? Oh, all right. That's what I do, right? Who, who has that in their weekend repertoire, right? Who has that in their background? Like in their resume, they're putting out, I've killed a bear with my bare hands. I struck down a lion. He looked at me funny. Like, I mean, like nobody has that. And David says, by the power of God, I was able to protect the sheep. And I was able to take down lions and bears. And just, I mean, that's crazy. That's the dude you want hunting trip with you. Like, you're going to take the shot. He's like, I got this. <laughs> right? He's like, what? You're like, I, I'm gonna, I, I got him. I got him. I got him. No, I got it. He just walks out. God. I mean, it's just, I don't know how that works, but it's just amazing. I love that. I love that. Your servant struck down both lions and bears. And I love this. And then he slams this Goliath. Your servant has struck down lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. David's ticked. David's mad. David knew what was at stake, and it was the reputation of God himself. And he's like, this guy, he's going to fall like everybody else. No big deal. Not because I'm a big deal, but because God's a big deal, and he protects his name, and he protects who he is. And so this guy, this guy's got nothing on me, quote, quote. David fights this fear of failure. He fights the fear of, uh, of, of maybe failing this thing because he knows what's at stake. If he fails, if he fails, not only does he die, but the nation of Israel is now captured by the Philistine army. That was the deal. We're going to send out one guy, you send out one guy, you know the story. And, and, and basically, whoever wins, they'll become the slave of the next guy. He knew what was at stake. And here's what he does. He fights the fear of failing with the successes that God has given him and he has achieved. David responds with trust in God's faithfulness. And he looks back at all the things that God has been faithful in. Two of the coolest things God's been faithful in is he's been able to kill a bear and a lion with his bare hands. That's some good faithfulness, right? That's a thing to write down in your journal. Dear God, 
thanks for letting me take the bear down today by the beard. Right? I mean, like, how does that work? But that was his, his, his successes were in God himself. David responds with trust in God's faithfulness. And here's the thing I, I would say for us this morning. As we look at all the things God's calling us to and all the things that are in front of us and all the people he's desiring for us to reach as a church, there's a lot of fear that can come with these things. And he says, if you ever have those moments of fear and you wonder if God is truly going to be in this moment, he says, I want to encourage you to do one thing. I want you to look back at the successes and the faithfulness of God himself. David Char- or Charles Swindoll, who wrote the book called David, it's a look at his life. He says this, most of us can recite the failures of our lives in vivid detail, but we are hard pressed to name the specific remarkable victories God has pulled off in our past. Isn't that true? We can recite all the things God's left us alone in and we feel like we've just been a failure in, but we have a hard time remembering the remarkable victories God has pulled off in our past. David had no problem with it. He looked back at his past and said, this is success for me. And as I was thinking about this, I, um, I found this in my desk. Um, and for those who don't know what this is, many of you probably do not, but this is uh, a gift that was given to um, about... 18 people or so. Um, and what this was, was given out, I believe it was during the one-year anniversary of Community Bible Church. And uh, it was just a, a memory book of kind of where we've come from and where we're going. And I gave these to everybody who was on the launch team. And, and here's what it had. It's a picture of the elementary school, which we are no longer there. Uh, the flags that are no longer there. Praise God, we're done with those. Those did not work well. Um, and then there's just some pictures of remembering God's faithfulness. And so there's some pictures of uh, moving day at the Straub House um, before we planted. Uh, there was pictures of our first P.O. box in Lawrence Township. That was a big day for us when we got a P.O. box, like where our name was official, like we could actually turn the key and get mail, like it was actually delivered to Community Bible Church. Our, our 501c3 went through, everything was good, and and then we had kind of this like moment where we were just like in the community, and this was uh, a baton twirling class, which I did not take, um, but one of our daughters took and was part of just being in the community. And then we f- saw a couple of things of the, the first um, Halloween thing that we did in our neighborhoods of like how do we best love our neighbors to life uh, during Halloween, and we kind of did some things that way for those of you guys who may remember. There is uh, pictures in here of the original Sunday mornings, which was like just five or four of us in my living room with a guitar, uh, and then there was the first ever Bible study in the book of Acts um, that we started before we were even a church, and so there's a lot of just different memories. Um, there's some things of uh, we were in. There was the first you guys remember this, the community kickball game. Uh, that became a, an epic thing for many of us uh, at the launch team, knowing that Steve lets little kids win. It was not a good day for me. I did not realize that about him. And then I had to educate him. We don't let little kids beat us, Steve. We just don't do that. Uh, and then uh, the open doors for the first day. And so this is one of those things that um, I carry, well, I don't carry around. It's in my desk as a reminder uh, of God's faithfulness and what God has brought us through. It's amazing to think of all that we have and all that's happening here and to look back and say there was a time, not too long ago at all, where we didn't know if we were even going to have anybody show up on the first day. Um, There were moments where we wondered if God was going to be faithful. And there were reminders for us of 
God's faithfulness that I can look back to and say, God has been faithful in the past. He will be faithful again in our future. And that's where God's calling us to. Saul uh, did not remember any of these things and instead went his own way and said, I don't want nothing to do with this God and I'm going to make it on my own. And so Saul falls to this fear of doubt or this thought of doubt and and he, he runs the other direction. The last name this morning is the name of Goliath, and I think you all know where we're heading with this, but let me just read the beginning of 17, verse 4. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. In other words, he was like nine foot five, nine foot nine, somewhere in there, nine foot two. They kind of differentiate, but he's above nine feet is basically the deal. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. About a 200-pound vest is what he's saying he's wearing at this point. And uh, he wore bronze armor on his legs, and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his sphere was like a weaver's beam, and his spearhead weighed 600 shekels of iron, and his shield bearer went before him. So this was an impressive, impressive dude. This guy not only uh, looked the part, he wore all the things that went with the part, and he was out challenging these Israelites. And as you know probably full well, Goliath fell to his own name and his own reputation, and he falls to the idea of arrogance and even evil. And he says, I'm I'm, I'm Goliath. You don't understand. I've killed hundreds of guys just like you. What's going to stop me from killing even more of guys like you? And Goliath continues just to yell and be boastful about who he is. We pick up in 43, and the Philistines said to David, Am I a dog that you come away with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. So he cursed David with his own Philistine gods at this point. And the Philistine, in verse 44, the Philistine said to David, Come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. He is mocking David. He is criticizing him. But ultimately he's mocking God himself. And he responds with this arrogance and this evil. And I love that in the face of arrogance and evil, David fights the fear of intimidation. David fights the fear of even death. He responds with bold action. This is amazing. I love this. Then David said to the Philistine, you've come in with a sword and with a spear, with a javelin, but I come to you, and here we go, in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This is not about David. This is not about what he's done. This is about God and protecting his reputation. Verse 46, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head. That's, a, that's awesome, right? I mean, that doesn't make a lot of the Sunday school lessons, but it should because that's just ridiculously cool. He's like, I'm coming at you and this thing's going down and your head's gonna be mine. And he says, you come here with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord God. I will strike down you, cut off your head and I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines to stay to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Again, David is not saying, you're going to get this so that I look really good and so that I become king. He says, I am doing this so that you may know that there is a God in Israel and his name is to be protected and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hand. That is not just like made up words. God will deliver him without a sword or a spear. (laughs) 
That's not like just allegory. It's not just sounding good because they both start with the letter S. It's actually going to happen, and he will give you into my hand. And then we see, this is amazing, verse 48 and 48 and 49. Now, he's just been taunting. This whole thing's about to go down. And verse 48, this is the difference. This is so cool. When the Philistine arose and came near to meet David. So one, you have Goliath kind of like the sloth, kind of picking himself up, doesn't really think anything's going to happen. He swanders down to the bottom of the valley. He's like, fine, let's get this over with. Let's take this guy out. No big deal. This is done. Fine. Let's just get this over with. Read the second part, though. David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. That's, that's, that's David. That's trusting his God. He's like, you want to saunter at me? I'm coming at you. Like, I mean, that's just nuts to see this little dude coming running at you like full tilt. Like, he'd probably imagine this guy, other, other guys just sauntering towards him. But this guy was running towards him, and he's getting ready to take this guy out. And David put his hand into the bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. And the stone stank into his forehead, and he fell on his face to the ground. And so David prevailed to the Philistine with a sling and with a stone. Two S's still, who knew? With a sling and a stone, and struck the Philistine and killed him. And there was no sword in the hand of David. That is not in there on accident. I love the author. He's, he's like, remember, this is about the name of God. There was no sword in his hand. Then David ran over and stood to the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of his sheath, taking, Philistine, take, taking Goliath's sword, and he killed him and cut off his head. And when the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled. And the men of Israel and Judah, <laughs> this is awesome, and the men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout and pursued the Philistines as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron, so that the wounded Philistines fell on the way from Shuram and as far as Gath and Ekron. So once they saw the thing was over, then they're all like, let's go get them. And they're super brave, right? I mean, once, once David had done all the work, then they get up and they start moving forward. Here's the thing I know about you and I know about me. Goliath says he follows this thing of arrogance. David went with bold action. And as we said before, this story is a story about God himself. This is not about David. This is about God using David to accomplish his purposes. So if you were to put this analogy and say, okay, let's kind of put ourselves in the story as we close out this morning. Here's what I want you to know. The evil and the arrogance of Goliath is the evil and the arrogance of Satan himself and the thing called death that he wishes for all of us. It's this idea of we have this enemy who is against us, who is against God himself. Jesus and God say, I will defeat this enemy on my own terms, and he does. And if we're going to insert ourselves anywhere in this story, I think we're probably, if we're looking around like, where are we, where are we, where are we, where are we? Oh, there we are. We're the Israelites, right? God has done the work. God has done the hard stuff. We get to come behind after he's done all the work and be part of that, right? God is saying, I go ahead. I do the work. It's about my name. And we have to remember this whole story is about protection of God's name. Revelation 5.5, one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah. Interesting. The root of of David has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. That's the God you serve. Revelation 1, 5 to 6. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and the Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. That 
That is who this story is about. It is about Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who has freed us. We follow him this morning. David is a man after God's own heart because he followed after the will of God. He is asking us in 2019 to do the same thing. Trust not in your own name, but in the name of Jesus Christ, that he is going to do incredible and great things as we put his name above our own. Make sense? This morning, as we do finish out, um, let me remind us all that we serve a God who is desiring to fight for us. Exodus 14.4, the Lord will fight for you. You have only to remain silent. Deuteronomy 1.30, the Lord your God who goes before you will himself fight for you, just as he did for you in Egypt before your eyes. They should have remembered those things when facing Goliath, but they didn't. First Corinthians 8, 5, and 6. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many small gods and many small lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father from whom all things and from whom we exist, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom all things are through him and whom we exist exist. We serve a powerful God, and he's asking us to remind ourselves through the life of David to remember that well. Let me pray for us as we close. God, thank you so much for this morning. God, I thank you for a story that is well known, and yet God causes us to um, remind us that you are the name worthy of everything. You have done great things. We just get to follow. We get to rejoice in the fact that you already fight our battles for us. So, Father, as we close this morning, we pray that we'd sing back these truths, that you are a God who does these great things. You are the conqueror of heaven. You are the hero. We are the sideline. <laughs> we are the ones that hopefully get to be used by you, but ultimately it's about your name and your name alone. We love you. We thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.